Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface. Alongside me, Talk Sports Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook and the former, definitely West Ham at this moment in time, uh, and Chelsea left back, Scott Minto. Here's what's coming up on the programme. Eric Ten Hag has had more stick than any other manager in the division so far this season. And yet he's three points behind Pep Guardiola. He's level on points with Christ himself, Ange Postacoglu. And he's above Eddie Howe in the table. I prefer to see it as a sort of game of Secret Santa. You know, you've got Maranakis and Steve Parrish sat having a Christmas dinner. And, and he brings along this package, Maranakis, and Parrish opens it, doesn't know what's inside. And it turns out to be Steve Cooper. Um, I, I kind of think that's how it plays out. Listen, I, I, I will not say that I think Villa will win the title, but how can you say they're not in the title race if they win at the weekend? You know, and, and they've beaten the big boys. Is it the hallmark of champions to keep coming back with these big moments and winning games late on, like they did against Luton in midweek, Scott? Or is it just a little bit lucky? Does it say something else? They're, they're fitter than most or whatever. I don't think they've stopped playing for the manager. I mean, I, I kind of hate that phrase anyway, to be honest with you. And as I said before, I never played for the manager. I played for myself first and then the club and the fans second. Yeah, that's right. He's very much West Ham at this moment in time because he was down <laughs> at the West Ham fan zone um, last night celebrating yet another brilliant away victory um, by pouring pints of Guinness. Well, when I say pouring pints of Guinness, ruining people's pints of Guinness. Um, I take it you've never worked as a barman. Um, thanks for that, Sam. And producer Jeremy, quite uh, rightly so, pointed out that the picture that was used, which I wasn't the one exactly I put up, was actually Madri rather than Guinness. But there was another one with Guinness in there. I did have a few Guinnesses. I thought it was a very good second half performance from the Hammers. So absolutely, everyone loved it at the Hammers fan zone. Do you think that maybe uh, the Tottenham Hotspur forwards had been uh, spending too much time drinking Guinness? Is that the reason why they couldn't find the time? Well, I, I, th- I think they've been watching Chelsea, haven't they? Um, being very inconsistent. And, and now it's Spurs doing exactly the same thing. But I mean, that's a great win for West Ham from West Ham's point of view. It really is. I mean, but but it wasn't the surprise, the real surprise of the night. You know, to see Newcastle getting done at, at Everton by three was was massive. But for me, yeah, great win for West Ham. I wasn't surprised because West Ham seems to have this habit of causing a problem uh, for Tottenham at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, Alex. Um, But it's five games now in a row uh, that Ange Postacoglu's team have taken the lead and yet failed to win the football match. It's a Premier League record that hasn't happened to anyone else before. How do they solve this? 
Well, I think first and foremost, Scott's being very harsh on Tottenham when he calls them inconsistent. They're actually being very consistent in recent performances. <laughs> as you say, take the lead and end up chucking the points away. How do they solve it? I think it's a really interesting question because I thought with Romero back in the team last night, they would be a lot stronger. I did think they can see, but I thought they still have enough to win the game. And you know, we've been here before with Tottenham. They've made excellent starts to the season's under previous managers, and it's very quickly fallen away. I think the Spurs fans are still behind Postacoglu because of the style of football, but it is a dreadful run they're on. There's no question about that. It hasn't taken very long for them to get back to being Spursy. And it hasn't taken very long for Crook to turn into the Christmas Grinch after telling us just before we started the podcast, can everyone get into the Christmas spirit, please? Where are your jingle bells? Within one answer, he's turned into the Grinch once again. Uh, having a go at Spurs. Anyway, who's on your obliteration list from midweek this week? I mean, Chelsea probably should be there. They were absolutely dreadful in their game against Manchester United. In fact, I think it was arguably uh, one of the worst performances of the season I've seen. There's been a couple of candidates for that, but I thought they were useless on Tuesday night. Um, and they really missed Conor Gallagher's energy and intensity at the top of the formation. But, I mean, just basics. I mean, people falling over, badly timed passes opportunities wasted. I thought it was a dreadful performance for Chelsea. It's fascinating, isn't it? The, the, the narratives of this season. And listen, you know, and I think Scott is as well, I'm a massive Pochettino fan. But I do think the fact he's not come under more scrutiny because Chelsea have been so poor in terms of results, if not always in terms of performances over the course of the season. No, but I just look at the league table and you pointed this out. Eric Ten Hag has had more stick than any other manager in the division so far this season. And yet he's three points behind Pep Guardiola. He's level on points with Christ himself, Ange Postacoglu. And he's above Eddie Howe in the table. He's right about the league table, isn't he, uh, Scott? But it's amazing how quickly he turns, isn't it? Because uh, once again, he's acting at Scroogey towards Pochettino. And now Eric Ten Hag is a genius again um it's a, it, it does switch and move so quickly at manchester united listen i actually thought manchester united did quite well in the game on uh, tuesday night but they weren't up uh, wednesday night they weren't up against much to be honest um i think it was really disappointing from chelsea good luck to manchester united they are they are they may well grab themselves a top four place i think i text everybody during the course of that game one of the things i said scott was i've watched this fixture for the last 25 years uh, with these two teams going at it at each other, hammer and tong. And this is the most mid-table I have ever seen it. Mm. I, I think you've got two teams, and it is interesting, isn't it, how he flip-flops from one to the other, and now he's desperate to get off Manchester United and go on to Chelsea now. <laughs> he turned against Ten Hag last week. He, he had got, could uh, fully no. gone. He had fully gone. I've got text messages where he'd fully gone that's it he's lost me tonight he's lost me now and now he's pointing out how good his points total is in comparison to some of the best it's it's it, you know listen a week is a long time in politics uh, a day and a half is a long time in alex crook's world absolutely but doesn't it go to show in the, in the sort of wider picture what a mad stroke brilliant premier league season we're having spurs have their wonderful start and now they're fifth manchester united's you know absolutely terrible and Ten Hag under pressure and he's lost 50% of the dressing room. He's on the same amount of points as Spurs. You know, Manchester City only three points above them and sitting in fourth. Isn't this what we want, ultimately? Just on Poch, though, please, 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 please stick with Poch. Do not go down the route of getting rid of another manager, bring another one in, 
There's a fallout of what happened with the transfer of, um, of the last 18 months. Give the guy time. More on the midweek action to come. Uh, but for now, let's get stuck into the weekend's game. Starting off uh, at Selhurst Park this Saturday morning. An early start for both Crystal Palace and Liverpool. everybody because coming here and watching us win matches and that's not been happening. Into Shabosli, bit of space, right-footed shot, at that! That's an absolute crackerjack! And next up, Crystal Palace. That's you, you cannot really get your arms up even, so just play the next game. Slides it through, This is your group. Can you keep us up? Yeah, I can keep that group up. Every single place we can finish higher, I want to finish higher. It's a five-star performance from Fulham. Well, I said it was embarrassing uh, when it was at 4-0. I don't know what's worse than embarrassing, to be honest with you. I mean, the Forest fans, they should get their money back with what they've seen here. Challenging moments is confidence and belief in yourself, and at the moment, mine couldn't be any higher. From the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed, you can be entertained by talk, sport. Game day is the place to be every single Saturday. Another 12.30 start for us and for Liverpool and Crystal Palace. Uh, despite a win over Sheffield United in midweek, the club um, was uh, a little bit sort of sanguine about the fact that they've got to, a quick turnaround. And he's quite right in terms of the schedule. The schedule is not great. Uh, but Scott, they, they do play more 12.30s than anybody else, don't they? No, absolutely they do. Um, although I was under the impression, and I sort of did a little bit of digging, that, that there was a big gap between Liverpool and the rest for the Saturday 12 o'clock kickoffs. And... From the start of last season, it is Liverpool number one, uh, nine times. And then you've got Man City and Tottenham seven times with Everton six times and United five. So, look, I, I do think it is a difficult sort of mindset, but I think they've got to just sit quite simply get over that. The broadcaster wants to see Liverpool at that particular time. It's a it's a you know particular broadcaster that, that wants that. And um, they've got to be able to deal with that. That's what the big money is there for, to have the squads to, to get around it. It's not only the broadcasters that want to see them uh, there, it's the fans that want to see Liverpool. That's that, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, it's a window. It's one of the slots. People want to be able to have Liverpool in that slot because they want to broadcast great football and Liverpool play great football and that's what they want to to see. There are, there, It comes with being a big club that you are going to be asked to play at different times of the of the day. If you, you know, ideally want to play at three o'clock every Every Saturday afternoon, you might as well be Burnley uh, because they will play at three o'clock every Saturday afternoon, whereas the other clubs do get moved around a little bit more as a result of being as desirable as they are. Uh, talking of desirable, Trent Alexander-Arnold has come into some serious form, hasn't he? He surpassed uh, Paul Scholes' all-time number of Premier League assists, 58, in 288 games, Crookie, and did it with his shorts pulled down. Impressive. <laughs> yeah, and do you know what? He's come to the to the party just as uh, Mo Salah seems to be playing with the slippers on a little bit. And I say that as a, a frustrated fantasy league player who's captain Salah for the last couple of matches thinking he's going to get that landmark Liverpool goal. And he's just not really turned up, has he? So Trent Alexander-Arnold with that Euros at the end of the season on the horizon, obviously trying to play his way probably into a midfield role in Gareth Southgate starting eleven. He's become a, a really key player for Liverpool. And Obviously, a lot of the attention is on Arsenal because they're top of the table and, and they're seen, I think, by most people as Manchester City's nearest challengers for the title, even though City are fourth at this moment in time. But Liverpool, they're almost going under the radar a little bit, aren't they? Uh, not for me. I took them for the title. 
um, and recently said that they have the value bet, and I think that's true because I think they they're more consistent than than most, despite the fact they concede a lot of goals. And that's one of the big issues I think when you look at the the teams that are fighting for the top of the table: Manchester City conceding too many goals, Liverpool conceding quite a lot of goals, Arsenal conceding goals, but just not as many as everybody else. I mean, I think this is the highest scoring Premier League season at this juncture. So that that does give us more entertainment, and it does mean we have to sort of recalibrate our statistics. Um, but I, I think they're I think they're a good bet to to be there at the end of the season, Scott, especially bearing in mind that they haven't played perfectly yet. And speaking to Jurgen Klopp at the beginning of the season, one of the things he said to me was, I don't know what this group can do because I'm still formulating it as we go along. The fact that they're, they're, they're where they are and the only game that they've lost in the Premier League this season is away from home at Tottenham when they really shouldn't have done. Um, that shows you that, that they, there's something about them. I think it's the same again. I go back to what a what a wonderful Premier League we're having. You know, Villa up where they are. You know, Newcastle. Okay, a little bit down, but just in behind the pack. You've got a, a, a group of teams that you know look as if they haven't quite hit the straps yet. And but you get the feeling that that Manchester City and Liverpool are the ones that really can stretch ahead. Arsenal, I think, are better um, equipped for last season because they've been there, but also Declan Rice. But you look at Liverpool. You know, that midfield was gutted out last season. And, you know, the two that have come in in particular, McAllister and Savoslai, have been superb. So, you know, look, whether it's Salah not scoring, whether it's Darren Nunez not scoring, you know, they've got so many good attacking players. And with Trent moving into midfield and making those assists or scoring the winning goals himself, they've got goals around the whole team. So, you know, absolutely, it's a, it's a great time. It's a great season for Liverpool fans. And not great if you're Darwin Nunez, another industrious performance by him, but another game without a goal. Will Klopp be happy with him playing well and not scoring? Um, I'll probably let Scott answer this one because he's president of the Darwin Nunez, Nicholas Jackson, any other rubbish Premier League striker fan club. Um, I think... You said Jeremy, but his hand up your backside there, <laughs> sorry, 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 can I just ask you a question? Um, has Darwin Nunez scored a Premier League goal this season? You're going to bring this on to Rasmus Hoyland. Why are you always trying to get it back to Manchester United? Hey, I'm just ask, just asking the question. Before you start telling everybody else they're rubbish, remember the guy that plays up front for you hasn't scored a Premier League goal uh, this season. So uh, yeah, at, at least, even if they are missing chances, they are also scoring them. Anyway, Scott, why don't you talk about Darwin Nunez? Look, as I've said on many times before, I judge a striker on how many goals he scores, not how many he misses. You know, if he was as clinical as Haaland, his numbers would be even better. Um, but in terms of actually being a team player, what he does is he gives so much space by the ability to run in behind. And then others can, like the midfielders or the wingers, the wide players, that, that can get into the positions that they want to. He terrorises defenders, whether he's scoring goals or not. And at the moment, he's in the side, Liverpool winning. Of course, he and Jurgen Klopp will want to be getting on the score sheet but you don't keep your best players out and he is one of Liverpool's best players. I'm, I'm sticking with Darwin Nunez. Uh, even if Scott's come up with um, well, probably the worst analogy of the entire season, which he turned around and said, and we'll probably clip this up and keep this for our Christmas bloopers reel. If he was as prolific as Erling Haaland, he'd have more goals. Really? That's, <laughs> that's some statement, Scott. <laughs> but my point is he gets himself into those positions. And yes. so it's just that final thing, whereas others can't do that by himself. So, 
Looks like I'm on my own as the uh, the president of my own fan club of Darwin Nunez, Sam. You've left no, me. No, no, no. Listen, listen. I like, I like Darwin Nunez. I just thought that was interesting. Um, and talking of uh, interesting, Roy Hodgson's uh, not happy and he's upset the Palace fans as well. Not because of the playing style. Well, actually probably has. Um, they were absolutely useless against uh, Bournemouth in midweek. And Roy uh, basically suggesting that they'd been spoiled. He then sort of backtracked on that uh, afterwards. Um but this is, it just has a feeling of that, that this has probably gone on a little bit too long now and it's going to come to an end very soon. And the whole sort of Steve Cooper leaving Nottingham Forest, which is probably going to happen, and Roy Hodgson leaving uh, Crystal Palace at some point is probably going to happen. Uh, and, and maybe there'll be like a little Christmas switch. Roy and Steve Cooper, Steve Parrish and Angelos Maranakis all go to a, a little restaurant outside London, chuck their keys in. And uh, Steve Cooper walks off with Steve <laughs> Parrish. Uh, what do we think, Crook? I prefer to see it as a, a sort of game of Secret Santa. You know, you've got Marinakis and uh, Steve Parrish sat having a, a Christmas dinner and, and he brings along this package, Marinakis, and Parrish opens it, doesn't know what's inside, and it turns out to be Steve Cooper. Um, I, I kind of think that's how it plays out. But I think you're right. It has gone on too long for uh, Roy Hodgson. It was, it was probably the, the wrong decision. I think we all felt it at the time to extend his contract after what he did at the end of last season. But what he's done, Roy, is he's reverted a type, hasn't he? You know, the football they were playing at the end of last season isn't the football they're playing this season. They're a lot more pragmatic, a lot more defensively minded. He'll probably point to the fact that he's been without some of his best attacking players at times this season. He'll probably point to the fact the squad's a little bit imbalanced, hence the fact Nathaniel Klein is having to play as left-back and Joel Ward... Bless him, he's been a great servant. He's having to start regularly in the Premier League. They still haven't got a prolific number nine, all of which I think Hodgson would have wanted to address in the summer. But if you've only got a manager on a one-year contract and you're going into a Premier League season, when you're in the firm belief there's going to be three worse teams than you, as I think Steve Parrish was with the three newly promoted clubs, he didn't spend any money. It was always going to be a slog. Um, But as I understand it, Paddy McCarthy was maybe being lined up as, as Hodgson's long-term successor. He's doing a lot of the day-to-day legwork. But obviously, the fact that Palace are not winning games has, has probably put paid to that idea. So I'm of the firm belief that if and when, and it's probably when now and not if Steve Cooper departs Nottingham Forest, then he will end up in the Palace dugout. Uh, we shall see. Um, I think the, the the other issues have had injuries. You mentioned Elise as a has been out since the end of November with an ankle injury. Elise is only just coming back from injury, but Tariq Mitchell's picked up a problem, which is also going to cause them a little bit of grief as well. And let's move on to Aston Villa versus um, Arsenal, 5.30 on Saturday. Aston Villa on a winning run of 14 games at Villa Park, most recent victims of Manchester City. Very impressive performance, I thought. The way that they intelligently pressed at times from the front, they were controlled in the way they did so. They didn't just... They didn't just go hell for leather at Manchester City. They they really took their time and thought about the way that they were going to attack it. I thought they were absolutely brilliant. They got a bit lucky with the goal, but they also hit the, the woodwork a couple of times as well during the game. And they needed their goalkeeper, who made a two-good save from Haaland early on. But after that, they didn't really have much to do defensively either. Um, do we need to take Aston Villa a little bit more seriously, Scott? What I would say, having Arsenal at the weekend, if they're able to beat City and Arsenal... Listen, I, I, I will not say that I think Villa will win the title, but how can you say they're not in the title race if they win at the weekend? You know, and, and they've beaten the big boys. So 
But I don't think in terms of, they've got to sort out the away form. If the away form was as good as the home form, <laughs> they'd be Manchester City of recent seasons. So look, it, it's always going to be very, very difficult, but they are so way ahead of schedule. And I'm really pleased for Unai Emery, who got a lot of stick, I think unjustly, and I said it at the time when he was Arsenal manager, ridiculed at times. And now he's he's kind of having the last laugh. The interesting thing is, I know he's talked about the Premier League as the most important thing, and obviously finishing top four would be ideal. But he wants a European trophy. He wants the Conference League. So how can they go deep in both competitions? But at the moment, absolutely, it's it's fantastic. Top four and Europe, that would be a wonderful season. I didn't expect them to be as good as they are. I didn't expect them to be in the top four hunt this year, let alone uh, anything more than that. And I still think that's the limit of their ambition, getting into the top four, Crook. Because if they were to do that, then that would be the first time that they've ever played in what is now the Champions League, but the first time they've played in in, in top-level European competition since they were European champions in 1982. Yeah, and that would be an incredible uh, achievement for, for Unai Emery. It's, it's the turnaround, isn't it? 16th in the table when he took over. I think our Aston Villa supporting power pointed out that nine of the starting 11 played under Steven Gerrard um, and went on to beat Manchester City the other night. That probably doesn't reflect brilliantly on Gerard, but certainly reflects very positively on Unai Emery. And I'm not, listen, I'm surprised we're talking about them in terms of the top four, but I'm not surprised they're having a good season because you will remember that charity bet they had with Jim White, the Villa, with their ambitious owners would finish above Newcastle. I think it's going to be nip and tuck between those two, I've got to say, but I think Villa, with that incredible home form, have got every chance of doing that. And I think this is a massive test for Arsenal this weekend. Arguably their biggest test of the season so far to go to Villa Park where the home side are so strong. The crowd are going to be bang up for it after what happened in midweek. This is going to be a huge test of Arsenal's championship credentials. If they can come away with a point, I think it'd be a great result. If they could come away with a victory, it'd be huge. Uh, I don't know if you remember that last year I was at the game between these two at Villa Park and um it was the last time, actually, that uh, Aston Villa lost a game at uh, home. And that was when they were brilliant, weren't they, Arsenal, in that, that, that match where they were, they were down, they were out, and then they came back and won by four goals to two. But it was, it was 2-1 very late against uh, Arsenal in Aston Villa's favour. Then it was 2-2, and Jorginho scored. I mean, it went down as an Emmy Martinez own goal, but he scored this hurtler from the edge of the penalty area that hit the top of the crossbar, came back, hit the back of Martinez and went in. And that was the moment, I think, that everyone turned around and went, do you know what? This Arsenal team, they've, they've got the hallmark of champions. Is it the hallmark of champions to keep coming back with these big moments and winning games late on, like they did against Luton in midweek, Scott? Or is it just a little bit lucky? Does it say something else? They're, they're fitter than most or whatever. They've got better. I don't know. What What is it that, that gives you that that little bit of an edge in the, the final few minutes of a game. Well, I was just going to say, I think the bit, the issue I'd have with, with putting, putting Arsenal up to win this game is 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 those late goals. You know, they weren't great at Brentford and they ground out a victory. They were really fortunate with the extended stoppage time to get that victory against Luton in midweek. And I just think sooner or later, as much as it is a hallmark of champions to win games when you're not at your best, sooner or later that is going to catch up with you. And I don't think they can afford to go to Villa Park and be as ordinary as they were in those two games that I've mentioned and have, and not come away with a defeat? My answer, Sam, is it is the hallmark of champions. But the bottom line is 
We saw it last season, as you said, and not just in that particular game, but in a number of games. All this part of the season does is set you up for squeaky bum time. And then it's the last 10 games. Have you got the mental capacity, but also physical capacity and obviously technical to, to see it through? They didn't last season. They have to come away with at least a point here. It is a very difficult place. I understand what's Crookie's saying, but you go back to the Liverpool team of the 70s and 80s, the United team of, uh, of, of the 90s and 2000s, they regularly did that. And these games are not easy in the Premier League, as we saw at Kenilworth Road in midweek. And Arsenal found a way to do it again. You know, So it is the hallmark of champions, but just because they're doing it at the moment, and even if they do it here at Villa Park, it doesn't mean to say they will win it because it's about setting yourself up for the last 10 games of the season. Uh, Jesus scoring at the Woo in midweek as well was really important for them, I thought, bearing in mind he hasn't really chipped in with too many goals uh, this season so far. Saka looks in good form. Um, and uh, even Kai Havertz, actually, I thought was okay during that game against uh, Luton. He seems to be getting more involved in the Arsenal build-up as well. He's He looks a little bit more positive. Uh, listen, I'm only, I've only got positive things to say about Arsenal. I think they've to, to come back a second season and put a real title challenge together shows that there's now thoughtfulness and character in that team. And I think they've improved their squad. as a, And even if they have lost some of those players that they bought, you know, Urien Timber, everyone forgets that he was going to be a big part of the, their squad for this upcoming season. And they ended up losing him very early on. I think they deserve a lot of credit. Um, let's look at the rest of Saturday's action now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. It's last chance saloon uh, territory for Steve Cooper. And Nottingham Forest go away to Wolverhampton Wanderers live on Talk Sport 2. At three o'clock, a dismal weekend for Forest um, and a dismal midweek as well. They were beaten five nil away at Fulham, making it one win in eleven games. Uh, we mentioned that Steve Cooper is on the brink. You've said when crook. Um, as far as we understand it, we think this weekend's game is going to be pivotal, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, the whispers first started to come out after they lost at home to Brighton that maybe Cooper was. Under pressure, again, I was able to substantiate those claims. I was told last weekend that he would be given the two games upcoming, Fulham and this one against Wolves, to prove himself. And obviously it started as badly as it could with that 5-0 thrashing at Fulham. And I actually think the 
the timing of this round of midweek matches has probably saved Cooper and given him one last dance because I think if there was a, a week's gap in between matches, he probably wouldn't be in the dugout this weekend. And it's a horrible situation because we, we know that the Forest fans love Steve Cooper. I think he deserves a huge amount of credit for the way that he transformed them from relegation fodder in the Championship, took them into the Premier League, kept them there last season. I don't think they're in any realistic danger of going down this season. But maybe that is a good opportunity if you're Maranakis, who we know is not renowned for his patience, to make that change, to maybe bring in fresh ideas. I think what would worry me, it was Ryan Yates who came out before the game against Fulham and said, we we know what we need to do. We're all playing for the manager. Well, the performance didn't suggest they were playing for the manager. I mean, that is that is the type of result that, that gets a manager sacked. And then there's issues with... Uh, McKenna and, and Worrell, two stalwarts at the city ground, that we understand have, have been banished uh, from the first team. So it, it all adds up to a very unhappy camp, doesn't it, going into this game? Scott, you were there in midweek, weren't you? Um, and you called it disgraceful. Uh, you actually said, I think that they should have the, they should give the fans their money back. Um, it was that bad. Um, do you think that was because of the fact that they, they've stopped playing for the manager? Or do what would you put your finger on it? No, I, I don't think they've stopped playing for the manager. I mean, I, I kind of hate that phrase anyway, to be honest with you. And as I said before, I never played for the manager. I played for myself first and then the club and the fans second. So, But look, I, I do believe that 100% behind Steve Cooper. I think he's very popular in the dressing room. But he, And what he's done is incredible. And I'm not suggesting just because of what he's done could give him lots of time, but it, it gives him credit in the bank. But I looked at that game and Crookie's absolutely right. It wasn't just the scoreline. It was the performance that can get a manager the sack. You know, the, the scoreline 5-0 did not flatter Fulham at all. And you got the feeling that if they really needed more for whatever reason, they could have got it. You know, Forrest had one shot on target and that came in the 81st minute. And my issue yeah. probably I'd say to Steve is, what is your best team? He made five changes going into that side. He made five substitutions in the second half. You know, he's constantly changing. And obviously, there's been injuries. There's been a lot of new players. He needs Did to you stick. think the squad's too big, Scott? Yeah, there's too many players that have come in. You know, in very much in a Chelsea situation on a different level, if you've got too many players, it's very difficult to keep players happy. And, and actually, also, because you know you've always got another option, if things aren't going quite well, the, in, the little voices in your head and maybe even outside your head are thinking, well, maybe I'll try this player. Whereas if you've got a smaller squad... You say, no, I'm going to stick with this. So what I would suggest to Steve now, not that he needs my advice, is pick the people you believe in. Pick the people who you think are up for the battle. Not necessarily technically the best, but mentally we'll put it in. Because I do think from what we're hearing from Crookie, this is almost a do or die game. And always a very difficult place to go. Wolverhampton Wanderers at the best of times. But at this moment in time, the, 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 the feeling, the atmosphere... The cohesiveness is certainly there and they're all behind Gary O'Neill. They're a point behind all three West London sides, Fulham, Brentford and Chelsea. And a win here could see them jump ahead of them. Um, You wonder what the target will be for Wolverhampton Wanderers this season because at the beginning of the campaign, just staying in the Premier League seemed to be a tall order. Now it looks like they'll be trying to achieve a top 10 finish. Listening to Gary O'Neill after the game in midweek, that's very much what he is trying to do. Um, it's been a brilliant job that he has done and he deserves a lot of credit for it because let's remember when he took the job, the previous manager had told everybody that the squad that he was left with was not good enough to stay in the Premier League. A big win for Manchester United in the derby of the Premier League's two biggest disappointments, Chelsea and Manchester United, uh, this season, mid-table mediocrity playoff. 
Why are you shaking your head? You're shaking your head as if that's not the case. Manchester United were supposed to go on a title uh, hunt this year, Crook. It's a disappointment that they have started the season as badly as they as they have. There's no there's no getting away from that. Eric Ten Hag himself said at the end of last season, we have to fight for the title next year. He said it. That's his quote. Uh, they are not yeah, doing that. I, I'm... I'm just not sure three points off Man City counts as mid-table. I think Chelsea are mid-table. Manchester United are eight points ahead of them last time I checked. Okay. Where are they in the table? Sixth. Joint fifth. Okay, so that's that's pretty mid-table, right? Uh, in the middle I wouldn't of the say, table. Oh, I, middle of the table to me is ninth to 14th. Okay, all right. Okay, well, you define middle of the table, even though that's not middle of the table, is that's bottom half of the table. Both most of those clubs, nine to fourteen, fall in the bottom half. So, you know, mid upper mid table, you can have that. There you go. Well done. Um, <laughs> and, but, anyway, um, th- th- this is a big game. You, you're right. At the start of a, a huge week for United, they've got Bayern Munich. You know, I've confidently confidently predicted they'll beat in the Champions League yeah. in midweek. Then they go to Anfield. Will be there, which obviously has been. Uh, a nightmare venue in recent seasons for many a Manchester United manager. And this is a tricky start because Bournemouth are playing with a lot of energy at this moment in time. They're on a brilliant run of form. And I think, listen, we talk a lot about Manchester United, but let's focus on Bournemouth. And they made that change of manager at the start of the season. There was some unfounded speculation after 10 games when he hadn't won that Iriola was under pressure. I don't think that was ever the case. The Bournemouth hierarchy were pretty relaxed. They'd hired the right man. Bill Foley came over, watched the game against Burnley, didn't even mention, as far as I understand it, the prospect of, of sacking the manager. And they've been rewarded for that faith in recent weeks. <laughs> uh, whereas Crook was going around telling everybody, uh, they can't go on like this, they've got to sack him. Um, <laughs> you can focus on about... You can focus, you, can, you can focus on Bournemouth if you like, but uh, let's focus on Manchester United. Uh, McTominay emerging as the mainstay, the goal scorer. Maguire named player of the of the month, which is quite surprising, really. Both those two players he tried to offload uh, in the summer. Um, Rashford benched in midweek. What's the situation with him? Because he looks like, I mean, he looks like he hasn't slept since 2019. He, he, he doesn't look great. His body language hasn't been great for a little while, but he just doesn't look himself, does he, Scott? I mean, does someone need to put an arm around him and look after this kid? Um, I'm not quite sure whether it's an arm round or maybe just you know, a little bit of a kick up the backside, the good old fashioned way. We know that what, what a player he can be when he's on form, but we spoke about you in England when we, I felt Raheem Sterling, you can chuck in Anthony Gordon as well. And when Gareth turned around and said, well, who do I drop? Marcus Rashford. You know, he's not been the player since last season. And I, I don't, I don't know the guy. So it's very difficult to say arm round the shoulder, but I think Ten Hag in his own way would have done that. And I think even just by playing him, when in poor form, he's done that. Now, sometimes I believe, and I, I said this before, I think when I was at West Ham, I went to the manager and said, look, you're dropping two or three players that are the sort of regular ones for you to be dropped. Whereas actually um, some of the big boys need to be dropped. And even if it's just for one game, it gives them a belief that I can be dropped. Okay, I need to be at it. So I don't know what his reaction has been like. As long as it's good, he'll get back. If it's not, he shouldn't. The bottom line is he can't start in this game because that was a very good win against Chelsea. OK, let's move on to Sunday. (laughs) 
Sunday afternoon, the Sunday session comes live from Tottenham Hotspurs Stadium. They take on Newcastle for 30 kickoff. Spurs, uh, well, they, they did their best, didn't they, to lose a fourth game in five. They've taken the lead in all five of those games. We've mentioned it already. Song coming off injured, uh, which makes their injury woes even worse. And they have had a lot of injuries. And that's one of the things that's sort of like, when you're talking about Spurs, and I think that the approach probably is right for the long term. One of the things I did, I did a piece actually in, in midweek saying that Ange Postacoglu is at the beginning of his Tottenham journey and he is working for short-term feels and long-term gains. And if he wants to compete with some of the bigger clubs in the division, Scott, he has to play in this way, in the way that he believes he is going to get an advantage because there's not going to be many games. Um, there's not going to be much money around for him to compete with them in the transfer market. He has to come up with a system which causes the big boys problems. And I think we've already seen this season so far that this is a system that the system that they play. When they're at full tilt, even when they're not at full tilt, they did it to Manchester City recently, they can cause the bigger teams a problem. They've drawn with Manchester City, they have drawn with Arsenal, and they have uh, beat uh, they have uh, beaten Liverpool. So this is the right thing to do, isn't it, for, for him? He's just got to... We've got to be patient with him and, and they've got to be patient with him too. Well, yes. And and even in, in the defeats, Chelsea, I mean, I just thought it was crazy kamikaze defending when down to nine men. Against Villa, they, they could have been 2-0 up early on. You know, they were 1-0 up against... Should have been 5-0 against... up. Well, there you go. Even more so. Against Wolves, they were 1-0 up going into to, to injury time. Um, listen... I, I do think I love the way he's playing, and if you're a Spurs fan, you've got to be enjoying what compared to what you saw last season. But you also need the players, Sam, to do that. If you're going to play a high line, you need pace, and you need someone who you know you, you're going to miss a Van der Ven. Obviously, Madison. You're totally Gilly, right. You're totally right. But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, do you? Though, just because you've got a couple of injuries, you don't then completely change your whole system. Bearing in mind, if you're Tottenham. You're not thinking about winning the league this year, really. Realistically, Ange Postecoglou is not thinking about that. He's thinking about getting this team in tune and all on the same page for a sort on the Premier League title, maybe next year or the year after. So he's trying to get this team in tune. So you don't then decide all of a sudden just chuck rid of the. Hey, rid no, of and I'm not suggesting you, you chuck it away. But what I am suggesting is if you're missing key players, you can still tweak things. It's not a you either do this or you either do that. There is somewhere in between where you can say in this particular situation, we're not going to play with such a high line because we haven't got Van der Ven in. What I would say is injuries come to anyone, but clearly Spurs need a best 11 out there to win games, not just play well, but win games. So that's why the January market for me is going to be really interesting to see what they're going to do. Are they going to bring in another centre-half? Actually, they probably need a proper striker because they've only brought in Brennan Johnson, who's a, a young up-and-coming player, but he's not a striker. They've moved Son up to where he is. When he's not scoring, who does do the scoring on a regular basis? So, I, absolutely, I'm full-on Ange Ball, but there still needs to be a way of winning games and finding a way to tweak it without actually throwing the baby out of the bathwater. It's as simple as that. It's not an either-or. Uh, Newcastle thumped away at Everton. Two errors from Trippier. Team looks absolutely shattered, and I can understand that. They played really well on Saturday against Manchester United, but they've basically used the same team for three games, and they've got no substitutes. It is a, it is a proper issue for them. Um, and I don't know. I suppose one of the key the, the key things is what happens next. Have they got the money to spend in the in the January transfer window? I've got a belief that they will get. 
a couple of loan players, not Ruben Neves, we know that's not going to happen now, but they'll get a couple of loan players, possibly from Saudi Arabia, but from somewhere in order to bolster their squad. Crook, what's the latest on that? Yeah, I think you're right. I think they're going to have to be creative. They're going to have to look to the loan market, take the goalkeeper situation, for example. They've been mentioned with Aaron Ramsdale, and I know amongst some of the hierarchy and obviously Eddie himself, there's a there's a lot of love for Aaron Ramsdale, and I think if they had £60 million to put on the table in January, they probably would go and do that, but they don't. So if they do sign a goalkeeper, it would be a, a David De Gea free agent type character, although I think Dubravka will be given the opportunity to prove that he can fill the void left by Nick Pope. I think Calvin Phillips is a, is a serious target. Whether Manchester City want to help out Newcastle is open to conjecture. And as you say, they've got the Saudi route as well. Gabri Vega, I think he's one to keep an eye on because he was someone who was on their radar before. Um, you've got the lad over in France as well, Ekitike, who again, they tried to sign previously, who might be available on loan, but they're certainly not going to go out and spend millions to address their, their squad issue. And I think in, in terms of midweek, it was just one game too far. And like Manchester United, they've got a huge week ahead with uh, Milan at home in the Champions League. I know you're doing that game for television, Sam. So th- this is an opportunity for Spurs to cash in on, on Newcastle's injury woes. But I guess Tottenham are doing the opposite of what Arsenal are doing. They're playing well and finding ways to lose, <laughs> whereas Arsenal are playing not great and finding ways to win. Um, interesting for both these two teams, though, that it is worth noting. And I did say to you at the beginning of the season, when everyone kept turning around, and people still are saying it quite a lot, you know, there'll be five Champions League places next year, blah, 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 blah. I'm not sure there's going to be, you know. And I did say to you that it, it might not happen this because it will depend on what happens in this year's uh, European competition. And the fact that you've got Newcastle and Manchester United likely to go out of the, the competition in this first stage that might limit the the op, the opportunity for a fifth Champions League play. So it may well be that top four has to be the target once again for both these two teams. And and Scott, I think looking at the, the landscape as it is at this moment in time, both cannot get into it. I think it's going to be very difficult, absolutely. I mean, Crookie must be thinking when he was railroaded into that bet with Jim White, oh no, what have I done? I think Mrs Crook wasn't happy with him as well. And now he's looking like an absolute, he's looking like the big Hairy genius. That's what he's looking like at the moment. 15 um, games. 15 I, games. Come back to me after 25. Yeah. Look, I, I said at the start of the season, I thought Newcastle would struggle to combine the two, both Premier League and, um, and, and Champions League. Every chance they'll be in the Europa League, so there'll still be Europe to do. Spurs is a great opportunity. They're out of all the competitions. Um, and, and I do like the way they're playing. You know, Cookie's right. They're playing well with finding the way to lose. But... At least they're playing well. If they carry on playing like that and creating more chances, and if they can bring a striker in 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 January, then I still feel Spurs can do that. But it's going to be very difficult. And just, you know, with Villa where they are, I can't call fourth at the moment. Top three, we kind of know. I'm still going with City. But I can't, I can't call the fourth. Uh, Manchester City are in action this weekend. They take on Luton away from home. What's going wrong there? Four games without a win. Uh, beaten well by... Villa in midweek. They've lost all four games that Rodri has not played in. Is it fair to say he's their most important player? Not, actually, it, he, he is their most important player, especially at this moment in time. I've got a mate who's absolutely certain that he's going to win the Ballon d'Or uh, next year. But in order for him to win the Ballon d'Or next year, that they'll, they'll have to do something like win the league or win the European Cup. And at this moment in time, for the first time since... 
2016 when he first turned up. I think we're looking at Pep Guardiola scratching our head thinking, you've got a problem to solve here. He, he certainly has when, when you look at the, the recent run of form. It's not a massive shock, you know, because when you won the treble and you've basically completed football, Roy Keane will tell you, he, he, he witnessed it firsthand in that Manchester United dressing room, there is going to be a drop-off from certain individuals. And I think City are suffering a little bit from that. I think you're right to point out the absence of Rodri always hurts them. I would question the signing of Mateus Nunez from Wolves. I'm not sure he's quite on the level where Manchester City want to be. I'm certain that Calvin Phillips isn't on the level where Manchester City want to be. And they spent a lot of money on him at the start of last season. No De Bruyne. And I think he's almost gone under the radar. But Phil Foden, who started the season well, Hasn't really grasped that opportunity, has he, to step into the the De Bruyne void? Alvarez was brilliant for the first few weeks of the season. His form has towed off and Haaland isn't quite as good as he was last year. So I think there's a a plethora of problems for Manchester City. And and Luton will give them a game because they give everybody a game. Yeah, they look very good against Arsenal and Liverpool at home. Um, And they're in with a good chance here. Uh, That game is on Sunday. Everton against Chelsea... uh, well, Everton out of the drop zone for the first time since their deduction. I thought they were excellent in their game against Newcastle. They created a lot of opportunities. They actually dominated the football. I think they'll give Chelsea a great game. In fact, let's be completely honest about it. They're probably better than Chelsea. They'd be above Chelsea in the league if it wasn't uh, for that point uh, deduction. I mean, there, there is some serious work to do here for Maurizio Pochettino. I think they'll lose at the weekend, Chelsea, Scott. You see, well, obviously people listening to this not going to be able to see it, but Crookie, just big smile and rubbing his hands together. Absolutely loving it. Well done, Crookie. United have won a couple of games. Um, <coughs> no, but the serious issue is, is you're right. First of all, well played Sean Dyche. You know how they started the great form before the 10 point deduction, but he's, it's almost like they knew it was coming and just said, right, we've got to step it up. It's almost not bothered them at all. I don't think they were great, obviously, against Manchester United, but they've got that team spirit where they're not going to have any problems now. They are going to pull away. I'm pretty sure of that. And in this particular game, if they'd have Chelsea had met Everton maybe six weeks ago, I'd have fancied Chelsea. Now, I take a point right now. But look, the bottom line is, again, everyone's talking and their society generally, he's rubbish, they're rubbish, you know, Chelsea are rubbish. What's Pot- Potch is under pressure. With what happened with the transfers and the amount of young potential future talent that's come in without having any leaders, this was always going to be difficult. Difficult for Potter, difficult for Lampard and difficult for an experienced manager like Pochettino. He needs time to weed it out. And this season, again, might not be pretty, but next season go again. I just don't want to see lots of 20, 24-year-olds brought in. I want to see a couple of big boys, senior pros, who can turn things around. But in terms of this particular game, I don't, you talk about, I don't know what United are going to turn up. I don't know what Chelsea are going to turn up. Sometimes they can be brilliant. Sometimes they can be absolutely rubbish like they were midweek. And I expect a reaction off them. So I'm still going to go for a draw, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, look, I don't think we've said that any of the players are rubbish. I think what we've said is, is that the performance was dreadful in midweek, which it was. And it is quite frustrating that they play the way they did against Tottenham when they took advantage of a couple of mishaps and actually played, I thought, quite well when they went 1-0 down in that game um, and adapted. They played very well against Manchester City. When you've seen them play like that and then they play the way they did against Manchester United, it is quite disheartening for for Chelsea uh, supporters to see. 
Um, I think I said at the beginning of the season, if they finish in the top half of the table, then Pochettino's done brilliantly. And I stand by that because I don't, I think that's where they are. I think they are probably the 10th or 9th best team in the league at this moment in time. Uh, but Nicholas Jackson has missed a lot of chances. He he needs help and they can't get Nkunku back quick enough, can they? No, um, and I think the same can be said of Mudrick, um, who also spurned a couple of decent openings at Old Trafford the other night. So I think, yeah, Nkunku has been a massive loss because he was going to be such a key part of their plans this season. Obviously, there's been talk they'll be back on the bench for the last couple of matches and we haven't yet been able to see that. So maybe he might feature at the weekend. I think they missed the driving force of Conor Gallagher in midfield. Old Trafford as well. But I'm pleased you're being so circumspect when it comes to Pochettino because we've got an, a mutual friend who's a massive Chelsea fan and he was raging in midweek. Pochettino's a fraud. He's a fouled Tottenham manager. Get him out. Get someone decent in. I don't think that's the, the common view of Chelsea fans. I think more like you are willing to play the long game with Pochettino than to, to rush to any knee-jerk reactions. They can't afford to get rid of Poch, Sam. They can't afford to get rid of Poch. They, if if you get rid of Poch, then not only are you just going from manager to manager, manager, and then as a set of players that are going to need to find a way to understand what the new manager comes in. But what top manager is going to come in? The amount of managers have been there in the last eighteen months. It's not going to happen. Stick with him. He is good. But if they and keep stacking thought- managers, they end up with Steve Evans in charge. <laughs> Bottom line is, Chelsea fans have been used to going a certain way. If it's not going top four, get world-class players in, world-class managers in. And if it's not going, they're gone. They've got to just almost redress the balance here because the owners have. Otherwise, they're going to be very unhappy for a very long time. Okay, uh, that's it from us. Uh, Crystal Palace Liverpool is live on Talk Sports this Saturday lunchtime. Faye Carruthers is presenting. Scott and I will be there. Game Day Live takes you round the grounds on Saturday afternoon, and it is the Sunday session from 1.30 on Sunday afternoon, where Crook and I will be at Tottenham Hotspurs Stadium uh, for the visit of Newcastle. We'll take you round the grounds of the WSL and the Premier League as well. There's quite a few games on Sunday to keep you in touch with, including man. And what have we got on Sunday? Quite a, quite a lot of fixtures, haven't we, on Sunday? A well worth keeping in touch with Everton, Chelsea, Fulham, West Ham, uh, Luton, Manchester City as well. Uh, so there's quite a, a, quite a lot to get involved in. Thank you very much for uh, listening. We're back on YouTube uh, at uh, well, very late on on Sunday night. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.